I sent a few options to your pastor, uh, Pastor Josh. I said, what, what do you want me to preach on? And here's some options. And so he sort of said, I'd like to hear about this, which is, uh, I'd like to talk to you about friendology. Ology is a study in something, and we want to look at friendship. Here's why. Um, and you'll see some slides. There you go, friendology. And, um, and so you can do an ology on anything, you know, iceology, if you're into ice, whatever it is, you know. And where I come from, you can study curry, whatever it is, and, and you can better understand that. But friendship is an interesting and a necessary thing that God has given us. On Valentine's Day, um, last month, a friend of mine put up a post on Facebook, and you'll see that quote. He said, for all my friends celebrating sad today, there is hope in joy. So I said, am I that old that I don't know what this acronym means? So I asked him what it meant, and he said, sad means single awareness day. That if you're not married on Valentine's Day, you're celebrating sad, that you're aware of these things. And so it's interesting that Valentine's Day, somehow you think you can't enjoy that day because you're single. In the midst of so many voices talking about finding a life partner, I find it difficult sometimes in our culture, and we forget the role of good friendships, good, deep, abiding friendship that God wants for us in our lives. It is very much possible to have many friends and not have a good friend. I was visiting my cousin a few weeks ago and um, with my family and her friend walked in and she's like, hey, how are you and everything? And I'm just standing there thinking, I have no idea who she is. And she says, I'm your friend on Facebook. I have no idea who she is. And so I realize it happens to any one of us and Being a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't mean we're going to stumble upon godly friendships. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. There's an intentionality about it. And so for some time, I've been wanting to preach this to my own soul. And for the sake of our church, namely because I pray for a deeper, richer, Christ-centered relationship in our lives. And to that end, I want us to look to the friendship of David and Jonathan and consider the place of friendship in the life of faith. And so I want to invite you with me to read as I read 1 Samuel 17, 55 to 18, verse 5. It is the account of what happens right after David takes out Goliath. A lot of us are familiar with that passage But I wonder how much time we spend reading and thinking through what happens after that and the chapters after that. And so I'll be reading from 1755 to 18.5. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son this boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. When the head of the Philistine is in his hand, and Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, 
I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Chapter 18. As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he was, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I pray now that you indeed would give us ears to hear, hearts to believe what you have to say from your word. And I pray in all of this that Jesus would be glorified. Amen. So here's the main point that I want to emphasize to you from this text. Namely, friendship that honors God will be based on selfless love. And in the points that come, I want to show you how that is evident for us. But also we need to understand, if you're not familiar with the story in Samuel, it really comes after Joshua and Judges. And in, in, in the life of Joshua and in that account, Israel is victorious. But as we move to Judges, Israel's morality, spirituality, goes downwards in a spiral in the, in the times of Judges. And within that, we find the story of Ruth. At the end of that, we come to Samuel, where Israel asked for a king. And so <clears throat> the Lord anoints Saul and, and, and he reigns as king, but they're unable to defeat Goliath. Thus enters David in the picture and he defeats him. See, at the end of this scene, David and Jonathan meet for the first time. And a great friendship is forged. And that will last a lifetime. And so I want to show you, my aim is to give you three points that support this main idea. And then I want us to think about some implication. What does this mean to us now? So here are some keys to God-honoring friendships that this passage supports and the surrounding passages might I add. Number one, God-honoring friendship is built on a solid foundation. It goes without saying. To be clear, their foundation was not built on a hobby. Many friendships can be built on a hobby. Not bad. Some friendships are built on interests such as music or a sport. I had many friendships in soccer. I grew up living and breathing soccer. Some friendships can be forged while they go hunting. All good things. But from David's life, we glean that his true foundation was upon the Lord from a young age. In fact, just two chapters back, in chapter 16, the Lord himself sends Samuel to anoint David as the next king of Israel. And he did that by sending Samuel to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite. Let me read this, and you should see it on the screen. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, And the Lord said, Arise, Anoint him, 
for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And it's in the next chapter that we read that all Israel stood in fear of Goliath. And David, who was filled with the spirit of God, walked up and took him down. And David's response was this in chapter 17 to this man and what he was facing when Saul said, how are you going to defeat this guy? And David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver me from this hand of this Philistine. So David's faith in God was big because he had a solid foundation. And so David actually points to God's past faithfulness and unchanging character as a means to stand against this giant, that he will believe that God will bring him out of this. And so it's interesting and it's a reminder that it is the same for us today, that remembering God's past faithfulness and his unchanging character are key in every season for us. Otherwise, a minor roadblock, a little bump here, a trial in life will seem like a mountain, like the Goliath, and we will fail to see through the eyes of faith David's foundation caused him to see through the eyes of faith. So as we're walking with the Lord and setting him before us, we will see more and more of God's faithfulness in the 10,000 little moments. Sometimes we wait for big events. God is interested in the 10,000 little moments of life that he reveals himself. And so David has just spoke to Saul at the end of chapter 17 and we're giving the following description in 18. This is Jonathan now, okay? This is David's foundation. This is Jonathan. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan, he doesn't say Jonathan thought, hmm, this would be a good mutual friendship. That his soul, that was intense, Jonathan saw in David a bold faith of Israel, a faith that he most likely saw in Samuel, not his father, most likely Samuel, as he grew up seeing Samuel mentor his dad. Because his father, sadly, was not grounded. In fact, Saul was anointed in chapter 10. Within the next few chapters, by chapter 15, God strips him of that. And so now... Jonathan sees David appear, a lifelong friend, solid foundation, and his soul was knit to him like his own. Not only is a God-honoring friendship built on a solid foundation, but secondly, we see that God-honoring friendship is bound by loyalty, by loyalty. We actually see this in chapter 18, 20, and 23 of 1 Samuel. Let me see, show you three passages. In chapter 18, verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Chapter 20, 16, and 17, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made, uh, and, and Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved, for he loved him as his, he loved his own soul. And then again in chapter twenty-three, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So the covenant language is a serious language. A covenant was not just hey we shake on it. A covenant was an, a binding agreement. It is that paper here you sign when we buy the house, when we lease the car. It's a contract. 
It's nothing casual that we can flop on. It's something that we hold true to. So they were renewing these covenants, not just making them, but they were renewing them again and again, including even their families. This is full of conviction, love, and even emotional vulnerability. These are two men where they're even emotionally vulnerable. You know, Jonathan could have been bitter. Instead, he chose to trust God and remain loyal to God's plan. He even helped David escape his father's murderous plots. And then he renewed that promise of friendship. As a result, later on we'll see that David kept faithful to that covenant and protected Jonathan's family. I've had some close friends, um, really good friendships with brothers at various stages of my life. And as I look back, I can say surprisingly, in the least expected place, God brought in godly friendships in my life. And, and as Pastor Tim was saying, uh, one day I'd love to share my story with you, but where God saved me was in prison when I got in trouble. And I spent a bunch of time there where I was being discipled by godly men. And it was there that I actually forged some of the closest friendships. Here's why. When you are incarcerated, your sins are public. One of the mentors who would come to disciple me, uh, one day he sat with us, a few of us men, and he would say, look, the difference between me and you is that my sins are private. And yours is public. So when I come spend time with you guys who are hungry for God, I don't have to hide anything. I can be real with you. And you're hungry and you're growing for the Lord. And in that interesting environment, we forge some deep, lifelong friendships. This mentor who, who, who forced that friendship with me, he's been to my wedding, my ordination, my graduation. In fact, it was him and his friends who raised money to send me to Bible college. And so I look back, not that we can't do it out here, but you know what our baseline was? That our sins were public, that we were not hiding our fears or our sins. We were confessing them. It was a confessional, an amazing time. And it wasn't just for a season or two. It's been lifelong. Convicted offenders, community volunteers, sometimes even prison guards would get together and pray and praise the one sovereign God. You see, even after, long after Jonathan died, David sought to be loyal to the covenant he made. And so, in doing so, he was told about Jonathan's son, Mehisopheth. You see, his son was surviving. He survived all that happened, but he was disabled. You know what David did in, in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel? We can read about it. But David asked him to bring him to his house, gave him a place at his table, at the king's table, The only people that get a place at his table are his family. But David was loyal to his covenant. And he made Jonathan's son as though his own. He said, look, all of your life you have a place at my table. And he fed him. He made sure he was good. Charles Spurgeon, talking about friendships, describes it this way. Friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. Have God sent you a good friend? 
when you're going through dark times to love you, to be loyal to you, to listen to you, to pray with you and for you. We need that. One last observation before I think of, talk about some um, implications. And that's this. God-honoring friendship is evidenced by sacrifice. We only need to look to one verse from today's passage in 18.4. Once Jonathan saw David would be closer to him than a brother, he did something that was unthinkable to someone who was part of the royal family. Verse four, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. You know what he gave away there? He gave away his royal inheritance. That's what he's given away. Think about that for a moment. By the time we arrive to verse eight, Saul gets jealous already that David might be coming after his kinship. But in reality, It should be Jonathan who should be in fear that he's going to lose out the future kingship. He's next in line. But then David appears, a man of faith, a man of boldness. And Jonathan displays an extraordinary act of selfless love. And unknowingly at that time, honors David as one who would be the future king of Israel. You know, what makes it so interesting is that in worldly terms, Jonathan had every right to absolutely hate David. Jonathan's dad was the king. Jonathan should be the next in line for the throne. But God bypassed Saul's line and chose a new king because of Saul's disobedience. Jonathan could have been bitter. He could have worked with his dad to try to take out David and manipulate his own path to the kingship. But he didn't. Now, it's really hard for me. I was thought about this. What is a modern day equivalency of this? Well, we're not royal families. But what are things that we hold near and dear to us? And I think it really depends on the stage of life we're living in, perhaps. And so you'll see some images that I shared with our church. A modern day equivalency. If you're into basketball, it's like giving away your special editions of Jordans. You know those Jordan shoes? He wore that. That's called the Jordan flu shoes. That one game where Jordan had a flu in the playoffs and he beat and he, and he won and that sold for $104,000. It's like giving that away. If you're into smartphones, it's like giving out your brand new iPhone X out of the box away. If you're into automotive, it's like giving your nice car away. If you're into future, it's about giving your security away. It's giving away your promotion, your leadership and the promise of the future. Do you know why? Because what you're getting in return is priceless. Jonathan was wise not just to seek a friendship, but a godly friendship, joyfully handing over his armor. This, it's like me and you handing all of these things over to this brother. He wanted David's soul to prosper. Have you ever had a friend do something completely selfless for you? You may want to think about that. Where they had no gain, but they rejoiced, rejoiced in, your, in your gain, in your joy, I've had a number of people do that for me. Now, if you've never acknowledged it, perhaps it's good to make a mental note, to send them a note of thank you for being so selfless in your life. Your pastor was just talking about how you blessed him in these few weeks. It's been the same for me in our church, and we're yet to have our baby. We've been sick. We've been in the ER multiple times the last few weeks with our kids. And so 
when people are selfless, let's acknowledge them. Let's thank them. Let's praise God for them. But I also want to talk about a point of clarity between David and Jonathan in a liberal culture that is bent on twisting the truth. This covenant and emotional connectedness that we see of Jonathan and David have been ripped in some sense out of the intended meaning of the passage. And some people have tried to talk and describe that that they had a homosexual relationship. A few things come to mind when I hear such a claim. That the word for love here is not used for sexual activity. It's actually used more for political and diplomatic relationships. And there's a lament that that David has when he hears of Jonathan's dead. And we find that in 2 Samuel 1, 25 and 26. And here's how David cries. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. David had multiple wives, but only one best friend. It's not that that was supposed to be the model. David was married to Jonathan's sister at one point and never was a good marriage. See, that was the frustration of David's life, among other things. We know what happened with Bathsheba. So David's heart sinks And he confesses this reality that his relationship, his brotherhood with Jonathan was extraordinary, surpassing. David's remark does not carry any sexual overtones. Rather, he's calling to Jonathan's radical, self-denying friendship and giving up the right to the throne and giving his royal inheritance to David. He remembers that Jonathan gave his absolute support to David. He wanted to see him prosper. Ultimately, friends, when we look at through the Bible, it is very clear and consistent that God teaches from his word that there's only one plan for the gift of sex, and that's the context of marriage between one man and one woman that has not changed and will not change. And so when you hear something like that, don't even give it a thought but point people to the truth. That godly, sacrificial friendship is what we see here. Not the sexual revolution that we see in our culture. There also needs to be, how do we see this pointing us to Jesus? How did their relationship foreshadow Jesus' relationship with us? To answer that question, I want to turn to John chapter 15. And the Lord says this, This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, in these few verses, we see everything Jonathan and David had, but only eternally more. Because in the Lord Jesus, we have the greater David, On his very best day, David only foreshadowed the Lord. Now the Lord is here, and he tells his disciples to abide in him in that chapter, in love to lay down one's life for his friends. And most importantly, he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, you are my friend implies a stunning level of comfortable personal interaction with the one eternal God. 
the creator. You see, in the Old Testament, only Abraham and Moses, by implications, were called friends of God. Here, Jesus extends this privilege to all obedient believers. You see, the friendship is tied with obedience. He extends this to all of us who want to be obedient disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is radical grace of the gospel that transforms us, our servanthood, into friendship. The grace that frees us is the grace that brings us into friendship with him. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, but you're investigating his claims, first of all, I thank God you're here. You're in the right place to hear God's word. Today's passage describes an act of selfless love when Jonathan gave his inheritance to David. When Jonathan made the promise, when Jonathan sought David's friendship. See, he handed everything over voluntarily to David. He even gave up his identity that David should be the next king. He traded places with David as an act of selfless love. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus came and he traded places with sinners who are lost. He left the royalty of heaven and came to sinful earth. And he lived among us, walked among us, and then he preached the good news of Jesus. And he went to the cross so that he can take my place and your place. There's nothing greater than that. He not only laid down his loyalty, but he humbled himself to the cross where he bore the judgment that the enemies of God deserve. Because by virtue of being born into the sinful world, we are enemies of God. We naturally reject him. One only needs to look to the little children that we have. You know, I've never had to teach my children how to misbehave. I don't think I've ever taught them how to have a tantrum in the middle of a store because they wanted candy. But I've had to teach them how to respect, how not to lie, how not to do these things. And by nature, God says that's who we are towards him from birth. And so Jesus came to take hopeless humanity and exchange our place so that we can have hope by shedding his blood. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So friend, this means only one thing. That today you can look to him who's called a friend of sinners and confess your sins to him because Jesus went to the cross. And when you do, and you believe in his promise, that God will save you, and he will cause your soul to prosper. And we go from being an enemy to being a friend. The eternal fellowship of God is at stake. True love is at stake. New life is at stake. So don't walk away from God's invitation to know him, to experience him. I invite you to explore and investigate the claims of Christ. Be informed before you reject the one true friendship that the Savior offers. Because everything else is fleeting, like the morning dew or the summer flower. It's here today and gone tomorrow. For those of us who are Christ followers, a few things for us to think through as I wrap up. Number one, the true friendship is based on selfless love of Christ. That that needs to be our center. We saw that in the life of David and Jonathan, that God was in the midst of them. It goes against a me-first culture. 
Uh, I remember that um, many, many years ago, uh, one of our elders in my previous church um, invited someone for um, a meal. And he said, hey, listen, I, I bought meat. I have barbecue ready after church. I invite you to the barbecue. And the young man turned to him and said, who else is coming? And I stood there. I just wanted to kick him. And what they realized is very self-centered. He was only interested if his buddies were there. But this elder graciously, sacrificially spent that money, prepared the meat, invited him for a meal. So I pulled him aside later and I, we spoke about that. And they didn't realize. I just said, look, we live in this culture. What's in it for me? Me, me, me. But Christ shows us to be selfless. The application is that we honor God in our friendships by honoring one another above ourselves. We honor the Lord by doing that. We don't fully arrive in this life, but we make progress. That's why Paul tells Timothy, let your progress be evident to all, that we are making progress, that our Lord is our foundation, the Holy Spirit is our help, the word of God is our guiding compass, and the local church is the place of cultivating these things. If we can't cultivate godly friendships in the local church, we're not gonna cultivate it anywhere else. I can tell you that right now. So I ask myself, how can I be a blessing to my friend without expecting anything back in return? Because that's the way I did friendship as a teenager. What is it in it for me? And perhaps an action step is, what is one way you can serve a friend this week? Not next month, but this week. You see, this is especially true in marriage. Ephesians 5 is perhaps one of some strong languages for husband and wife pointing us to Christ and the church. And so when I think of friendship, a good question that I often, um, that my brothers and my, my mentors ask me is, how's your marriage going? And I'm glad that they ask because not too many people ask you. Maybe some people think you shouldn't ask a pastor that question, but <laughs> I encourage you to ask that question because you want to learn. But another question I find that's helpful is, how's the friendship in your marriage? I want my wife to be my best friend. How's that friendship in your marriage? And those questions help me think through. Encourage, not just that, but they encourage me in that. So those of us who are married, may we think in those terms. Secondly, uh, true friendship will remind us of God's sovereignty in trying season. To remember God's past faithfulness and unchanging character in every season. So look, we must give one another space and time to vent, to cry, to do all these things are important. But then, do not walk away without reminding them of the sovereignty of God over all things. And Job has always been very helpful. Um, last year, my wife and I, um, well, we had a miscarriage. And I was just reading through Job. And it was just so tough. That's the third time we experienced that. But reading through Job was just so much medicine, so much balm. And to remind one another of that, do not let that pass by. Psalm 23, Psalm 46, there's so much truth right there. Lastly, true friendship will not function in fear, but in obedience to Christ. I've seen too many friendships and relationships function in fear. It means that a friend will not just say, let's drink and forget about it. It means we give permission to call out our sin. It means that we are the Nathan to someone and someone is a Nathan to me. You know how easy it is to be a Nathan to somebody? Just rebuking people all the time? It's super easy. 
By nature, that's what we want to do. But you invite somebody to be a Nathan to you. Look, God has given you elders. And, and God has given you brothers and sisters in your life. I thank God for that. But you invite them to function not in fear, but in obedience to Christ in your friendship. If you refuse to give permission to be called out, we're laying the groundwork for sins that could be otherwise avoided. If we refuse to act in obedience and be the Nathan in our friend's life, then we're acting in fear of what they might think instead of what God is calling us to do. And so times and seasons will be there to address that in our lives. Uh, let me recommend one thing before I close is a book by Vaughn Roberts. It's called True Friendship. Uh, a few friends and I have got, it's a tiny book, it's maybe less than 100 pages, and each chapter is maybe six, seven pages. Read it together with one or two friends. At the end of each chapter, there's a couple of questions to think through. Um, Juan Roberts has written a number of books. Um, his theology is solid, and it's been helpful. You can get it on Kindle for $3.99. Um, so I have it, and whenever I get a chance, we'll read through them. We'll talk about some of these questions just to cultivate friendships. It's both for men and women. And so um, just something, uh, if it's helpful, I want to encourage you. Um, and so there's one last slide before I pray, and pretty much it's, uh, if you go to that, it's some questions. Um, if you find it helpful, you can talk about it. If not, just you can talk about other things. But what is special about Jonathan and David's friendship? How did their relationship foreshadow Jesus' relationship with us? What is your next steps in cultivating godly friendships? Some things to think through as you and as we pray now. Join me. Father, we thank you that in Christ we're given friendship, that we are restored with you vertically first, which enables us to be restored horizontally with the one another's. So I do pray in Christ's church, in the local church, that you would help us to cultivate godly friendship. That when the world sees that, that they would be jealous of that. They would want that, and that would point them to Christ. I pray, God, that we would be about proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel by speaking the truth and living it out. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would brood over us, you would strengthen us, you would enable us in these things. As we live busy lives, slow us down, Lord, to enjoy godly, Christ-exalting friendships. God, I pray and I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.